work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the first Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. I am Vanessa Southern. I am the senior minister, honored to serve this congregation. And it is wonderful to have all of you with us this morning from wherever you are joining us. And whatever your morning has looked like, whether you're still in your fuzzy slippers and bathrobe, or you just came back from a run, or you've written a chapter of a novel, whatever your morning has been like, for making the time to be here together again to worship. It was lovely to hear Reiko Odelaine play our prelude this morning. Canon in D seems such a perfect choice because of course, I don't know about all of you, but it takes me right back to a hundred weddings with the bride and the bridesmaids and the groomsmen coming and the families coming down the aisle. It's such a poignant memory in a year where weddings have been on Zoom or small and outdoors and funerals have been on Zoom or are waiting until people can be together again, families can be together again. Just yesterday, I participated in a bat mitzvah that was happening in New York City all of which is a reminder that today we stand just a couple days from the one-year anniversary of the shelter-in-place order that went out by Mayor Breed in this city, pulling all of us into a place that officially and originally was supposed to end on April 7th. <laughs> but as we know, has taken us places we probably could not have imagined. And so poignant on this one-year anniversary to be reminded of all of that and take a step back, do a little bit of reflection in this year that has been so invitational for reflection of the biggest kind. So it's wonderful to be together. I want to thank the team who is here making worship possible, many of whom have been here this entire year. So... Thank you again to Reiko Odelaine, our organist, as part of the incredible team of musicians who have had to pivot so much this last year. To Mark Sumner, also in our wing with our four semi-recording studios, adhering to all of the rules of the city so that we can have music and making it happen so beautifully all year. And Asher Davidson and Ben Rudiak Gould and Brielle Marina Nielsen and Leandra Ram our four singers bringing us their voices in song, inviting you to sing at home every week as they have. I want to thank our tech crew who has been so important this last year. To Jonathan Silk, who's had to juggle more than I think we could have imagined in the changing landscape of this year and done so, so beautifully and with such grace and never missed a Sunday. So... You get the badge of perfect attendance, Jonathan. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> and also to Eric Shackelford, who also has been here faithfully, and to Shuli Ong, who's been our other camera person, bringing you the images of this sanctuary that you haven't been able to be in in person. To Joe Chapeau, who has monitored our chat and helped you all with your technical issues so that you can join and also made possible the interaction that happens there. To Alex Dar, who jumped in almost immediately to start up a virtual coffee hour that actually has brought an intimacy and a connection that 
our coffee hour normally outdoors or in the Martin Luther King Jr. or Thomas Starr King room really often didn't allow for a lot of us, so it's been an interesting lesson for us there. To Thomas Brown, who's kept the building open today and made sure the heat was on, and Carrie Steer Salazar, along with Judy Payne and Amy, have made possible the flowers each week. This week, Carrie, Carrie brings us flowers in orange and green and white in honor of <clears throat> the flag of Ireland and St. Patty's Day. So, blessings and welcome, and thanks to everybody who's making this Sunday possible and who's made Sundays possible this whole year. And so we're going to light our candle ever more poignant since this is our second candle, the first one having been burned all the way down, a candle that we've lit symbolically each week for all of you who are not with us here in body, but with us here for sure in spirit. And we light it until we can be together in body again. So with that, we sing our first hymn of the morning. The words and the music are in your order of service. If you haven't downloaded it, hurry and do so. Sing out loud and strong a hymn that's about looking for all the things we have to be grateful for in the world. Let's join together. Welcome.
please join me in our unison chalice lighting. The words are in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Hello and welcome. If this is your first time watching, thank you for joining us. Our order of service, which is available in the description of this video, is emailed to everybody who receives our newsletter. You can get our newsletter by signing up through a link to our connection form that's in the order of service and the video description. The order of service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after the service. Please join in anything that interests you. I want to call your attention especially to the Humanists and Non-Theists Forum at 1 p.m. today, where Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director of the Tuolumne River Trust, will be talking about our Northern California water supply and what each of us can do to help preserve our rivers. And lastly, as many of you know, it's currently pledge season at UUSF, where we ask each member of this community to pledge what they can for the coming year in order to make this community possible. As of this morning, we've raised $468,307 from 73 households. Any pledges made today will be submitted to a raffle to win a free three-night stay at a cabin in Lake Tahoe, thanks to member Marty Vanderlyn. Uh, and now I wanted to welcome Wonder Dave, a member and young adult here at uh, UUSF, to give our campus message. Uh, Vanessa referred to this as the one-year anniversary of Shelter in Place. I would like to say that I like to think of it as the one-year anniversary of Tiger King, actually. That's what I like to go with, uh, just a positive spin. Uh, Hello everyone, my name is Wonder Dave. Uh, if you don't know me, I have uh, been a member of this church for a couple of years now. Um, I am not now, uh, nor at any point in life, uh, would I be what someone would call a participator. Uh, by participator, I mean someone who enthusiastically joins groups. Uh, I am not the type of person who will volunteer to go on stage to assist the, magi the magician during a show. In my view, I paid for the seat and I would simply like to sit there and be entertained. This is a lifelong attitude. Uh, as a teenager, my desire to participate was at an all-time low. Uh, I didn't much want to spend any time around my family to the point where being grounded meant that I was not allowed to go to my room. Uh, but even as a child, I was pretty content playing by myself. I thought other kids were too loud and social interaction came with too many rules about how to act. Uh, to be clear, I had friends, I engaged in group activities in school, but it never came naturally to me. Uh, I am still slow when it comes to joining, uh, for instance, I started coming to UUSF uh, for Sunday services in 2018, and I didn't officially become a member until 2020, so I really took my time to figure this out. Uh, when Joe Chappeau reached out to ask me if I would like to speak specifically about the value of being part of this community, my brain went, oh no. <laughs> um, it wasn't a fear of public speaking, I am a stand-up comedian. In 2019, I was on stage a total of 324 times. I know that because I have a spreadsheet, uh, which is the sign of a very fun person. 
<laughs> writing something and then saying the thing I wrote out loud into a microphone are something I have done a lot. Uh, but this is different uh, because this involves the biggest F word of all, feelings and talking about them. Uh, when I came to Unitarian Universalism, I was depressed. Uh, my grandparents, whose home I had grown up in, died nine days apart from one another, and I was not handling it well. I needed something I knew, but wasn't quite sure what. I decided that perhaps just to be around people in a space that felt sort of sacred would be good, I knew a bit about Unitarian Universalism. There was no creed, there was the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, no hellfire or damnation, no dunking babies in water, although there is that thing over there, not entirely sure what it's for. You can explain it to me later. Uh, I, uh, I, I had a, a notion that UU was sort of the platonic ideal of religion. People in a building on a Sunday, doing charitable things and praying, probably. I honestly was not that sure what to expect. Uh, but all of that was appealing to me. It seemed like a low-pressure religious scenario without a lot of rules, something rule-averse and social-averse me would be capable of handling. I showed up on a Sunday, and while I don't remember the exact theme of the service, uh, I do recall that Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern uh, read an Anne Sexton poem. I have always loved poetry, uh, and I knew after reading that poem, I was going to come back. Uh, you cannot read an Anne Sexton poem to a person who is depressed without piquing their interest a little bit. I have continued to come back for over two years in person, via live stream, and in podcast form. I have attended services, protested outside the building, been a part of Becoming Together, social events, and other small groups in the church where we explored the deeper meanings of faith and spirituality. I am continually impressed by the good works this church does in the community. I am thrilled to see the larger fellowship of UU work towards a more just and equitable society. And now, with all the subtlety of an NPR announcer, I would like to remind you that this is indeed pledge season for UUSF. Any amount you can give is helpful to the church. Turns out a middling stand-up comedian does not make a lot of money, so if you are able to give a small amount, say $5 a month to spare, that is certainly welcome. You should do that. Uh, no amount is too small or too large. If you can give $500 a month, I'd like to remind you that money can't buy happiness, but it can buy repairs on a very old historic building. It can fund religious education for the youth. It can help the church provide services for the homeless. Perhaps there has been a day when you needed something and you came here to this church, to this live stream, and not knowing what you were looking for, you found it. That's something worth not only continuing but nurturing and growing. Thank you, everyone.
just a reminder that you too can be in that slideshow after you pledge. Just make sure to send us in a selfie uh, and we can make sure that you uh, get into the next one of those. And now I want to invite everybody to join us in our meditation on breathing. If this is your first time, uh, just listen and join in whenever uh, you feel so moved. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in. The word religion has its root in the word religiare, which means to bind together. And this is a community that is bound together, not by a creed, but by the promises it makes, the promises that we make to one another. And so each week we say aloud some of the promises, those in our covenant and then sing together our doxology. I invite you to join me in saying the words of our covenant printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another.
recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, for all people held without charges in less than humane conditions, in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and our responsibility for that as citizens of our country. We ring our gong additionally once to acknowledge the full year since San Francisco's first shelter in place order, which symbolized for many of us here, the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this past year, there have been 120 million cases globally, 30 million in the US, two and a half million deaths globally, half a million in the US. We ring our gong once for all of those lives that were taken, for all of the resolutions and sleepless nights, for the essential workers, for the scientists, and for the recognition that even though the pandemic may end a few months from now, all of us will remain changed forever. Finally, we ring our gong once for Mr. Pak Ho of Oakland, who was attacked by somebody targeting Asian American senior citizens and who died late last week of his head injuries as another victim of white supremacy culture. May we hold space in our hearts to welcome those that are made to feel other, even in their own homes. So much to remember and to hold. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Thank you.
I want to thank <clears throat> Sam King for leading worship with me this morning as our worship associate who's also been so faithful during this time, <clears throat> this last year, and to Wonder Dave for being with us. It was a special presence. I noticed that both of them went running for the hills when the Latin started. I don't know what that's about. And I want to invite us all into a time of prayer and reflection, meditation. Bringer of larger mystery and unfolding. God of surprises. Creative spirit of our lives. All that which makes our spirits strong for the holding of hope. Stoker of resilience. Guardian of our silence. And companion in all, this year has been an unusual one. Silent streets, boarded up stores, faces covered in masks and shields. This year of hands never extended, except to take and wash in the river of sanitizer. We give thanks for being here now. Together in ways we couldn't have known or imagined, but found to be together. A testament to our desire for connection and our determination to forge it across distance and disease, to ford the streams of loneliness and bridge wide reservoirs of solitude to find one another. We give thanks for being here now and for all who helped us to be here those who risked their own health to grow and deliver our food, who sold it to us in our local stores, who showed up at the hospitals when there was so much uncertainty and so little PPE in case we arrived and for those who did, for all they tended for all who healed and came home, and all who didn't, especially those who didn't, and those who lost them. All of us diminished by each loss, every one. We hold all this and the miracle of science and its masters and servants 
those who strove to learn how to keep us safe and did. And also for all the babies who were born this year and those who are going to be born yet and everything that has reminded us that despite hardship and loss, life goes on. Life will always go on. This force so powerful and enduring in us, so precious and frail too. So again, we give thanks for being here now. For all that means so much to us after this year, let us pause for a moment in silent witness and shared solitude this morning. I invite us into silent witness together. For gratitude for the life and the love that has endured this year. And the gift of a way through. We give thanks. It's good to be here. Now. Blessings. And amen. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down, down where you ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, will be in the valley of love and delight. Simplicity is gained to bow and to bend. We shan't be ashamed to turn and turn. Will be our delight till by turning, turning we come round.
This morning <clears throat> is entitled Connected by Mortality by the Reverend Laura Brandis. Last year on Ash Wednesday, I wondered how to best mark the beginning of Lent, seeking a way to both honor the Christian tradition of my childhood and my chosen faith of Unitarian Universalism, I wandered into a chapel at a Dallas hospital to receive the imposition of ashes. Yes, that's right, imposition, meaning imposed upon the head. Imposition, as a noun, can also mean burden, annoyance, hassle, which for some who have been wounded by Christianity, seems a good definition. But this is imposition as a verb, imposition as religious ritual. This is what I wanted when I intentionally wandered into the chapel at Parkland Hospital that morning after visiting one of our members receiving care there. I wanted someone, anyone, to impose the ashes on my head with the usual words. Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Those were the words spoken by my colleague, Reverend Aaron White, as we gathered just a week earlier in a private ceremony prior to my daughter Zoe's memorial service at First Unitarian in Dallas. Aaron prayed, and then with the assistance of a staff member who had been the director of youth ministry when Zoe attended the church, placed ashes in each of our hands, saying, from dust we come, to dust we shall return. Unfortunately, those were not the words said as the chaplain imposed the ashes on my forehead in the hospital chapel, instead I was told, repent and be renewed in your faith in the gospel. Oh, not the ritual I was hoping for. Nevertheless, I sat down for a brief prayer and cried. I cried not, not because the words were wrong. I cried because I came seeking comfort from an ancient ritual and I received the comfort I had been seeking. The words were wrong for me, but not for the others who were silently praying in the chapel with me that morning. And I was not alone in the chapel. The words were wrong for me, but the ritual was not. I needed to be reminded that we are all mortal, 
I wanted the mark on my forehead for all to see that this impermanence, mortality, ashes, dust, is the truth of being human. And we are not alone. Here ends our reading.
I think that's all we need to know. I think I can go home now. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that I'm a minister because I am a sucker for ritual and ritual seasons. I think it's a genius that religious traditions have created them, all kinds of them. I love the invitation. Advent and its invitation to do the work of preparation for some kind of birth in our lives. Yom Kippur and the invitation, the deadline to make things right with others. As right as you can before one year of writing deeds in the book of life ends and another one begins. I love Hinduism with its invitation to a sense of the larger ritual seasons of life. All of it, how life begins with the season of the student or the brahmacharin, where you study and you surrender yourself to a teacher and the imparting of knowledge and the discipline of formation. And then when you marry or begin your career, you enter the role of the householder, this keeper of institutions, this provider and protector of others, this strong backbone of society. And how finally when you're 60 or your first grandchild is born or maybe whichever comes first, you begin to explore life as the forest dweller invited to detach, to begin to focus on the spiritual things Maybe at some point, literally leaving behind possessions and family to wander as an ascetic beyond the bounds of worldly things to go deeper into the mysteries of life and maybe, maybe prepare for death. I love all of it. One danger, I think, of being human probably, but maybe a little more intense for us as Unitarian Universalists, a little spiritual precipice we can fall off of, all of us, is this mythology or sometimes delusion we can get that we are unique. And of course we are, each of us, with our own stories, but there are limits. I have a friend actually whose brother is one of those folks who believes that everything he feels or struggles with is something that no one else can understand because he is sure that he is different, so different and so special. She and I joke amidst our frustration sometimes that irony of ironies, I'm pretty sure there is actually a diagnosis in the DSM for just such people, <laughs> proving that he's really not so unique at all. Because really the truth is, we human beings, as different as we are, and we are, we do tend to circle around some of the same or similar categories of needs and questions and challenges and growing edges. Kathleen Norris, who's a poet and an author, has written a lot of books, most of them in some way about rediscovering on her own terms, the religious life. She wrote a book years ago called Amazing Grace. It's a book that's literally like a, a, a glossary of religious language. Each entry about a page long of a word, a traditional religious word, 
But what it is really when you dive beneath just the table of contents, it's her wrestling with and reclaiming all of these words on her own terms, words from her religious tradition, the one she grew up in, words that maybe always are of no use unless we wrestle with and reclaim them. As the bard of Unitarianism said long ago in his famous Divinity School address, quote, whilst the doors of the temple stand open night and day before every person and the oracles of this truth never cease, it is guarded by one stern condition, this, namely, it is an intuition. It cannot be received secondhand. That exhortation of Emerson's didn't mean in Emerson's mind that we're supposed to make up all of our own truths and cast off every truth handed down to us. It didn't, didn't mean we had this responsibility, this religious obligation to own them, to roll them around in our hands and test them and apply them through the prism of our own lived experience and see how they stood up and then take the pieces that endured and and ground them, ground ourselves in them as our own, or cast the pieces off that we decided were outworn and outdated. Truly speaking, Emerson said, it is not instruction but provocation that I can receive from another soul. What he announces, I must find true in me or wholly reject. Norris said, when she started the venture, the vocabulary of religious faith once seemed dead to me. Poetry for her was where she first finds language that more accurately captures the truth of her own religious experience. And yet, struggling with stubbornness, she says, and a, quote, daunting mix of impatience and tenacity. She reclaims language that is part of the Christianity that hers was hers as a child, and she steps into it, into this language and tradition, beginning to see it truly for what it is, this river that, like Heraclitus described, is never the same twice, that's evolving and changing, and us as part of it. And for this poet, Norris, that wrestling with words, with tradition was hard, but in the end, she says, very worth the struggle. I'm with her in that, the work of all of this and the value, not casting off tradition, but with tenacity and what's the other word she uses? Impatience reclaiming it, passing it through the prism of our own lives. My sense is that the seasons and rituals of so many cultural and religious traditions came about, right, because people over time found ways into, into their gnawing human needs and found their pivotal questions held in ways that 
over a lifetime felt powerful to find a way to hold and invite us through and into and offered these seasons and rituals as their legacy, their gift to us if we accepted them. These designated times and spaces, these ritual opportunities to do some of the work that they thought was worth doing. And the good news for us as Unitarian Universalism is that we have an enormous amount of space. We have a lot of room to play with and rethink and restructure these vessels and these invitations. A couple of years ago, hurrying out of one meeting at church, Sherry, who was our intern then, and I rushed across the street to St. Mark's Church to attend their midday Ash Wednesday service. Sadly, like the cobbler's child who perennially has no shoes, the ministers were late to the service, as it turns out, and missed, if you can believe it, the ashes, missed the imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday, oi. We didn't really talk about why we both wanted to go, but I think we both craved that imposition real or symbolic, on our foreheads. This invitation to reflect and prepare. Laura Brandis, the UU minister who is formerly here in California in Thousand Oaks and now is at Horizon Unitarian Universalist Church in Carrollton, Texas. She talked about her experience of Ash Wednesday in the reading that we shared this morning. For her, the words that her UU colleagues said to her, from dust we come and dust we shall return, were grounding. They were comforting, particularly at a time when she was struggling, strangely, with the loss of a child. It was comforting. Because these ashes, of course, were a reminder of her and our mortality. Mortality, which was absolutely the cause of her pain and what made her never alone in it. To dust we would all return. Never easy, not easy, but true. And it's that reminder that opens up this season of Lent that's happening all around us that we're in the middle of right now. Begun on Ash Wednesday, 40 days, ending with the Thursday Passover Seder right before Easter. This time is the time we're supposed to be somber, but it's also supposed to be grounding and comforting and invitational. I find it strange to think of it that way because, of course, I always associate Lent or have did growing up when I heard about it as this penitence, like the words that were said in that hospital chapel to Lori Brandis when she went looking for solace and found it in the connection with people, but not in the words that were spoken. But really, originally these days, they were just supposed to be this ritual mirror of the 40 days that Jesus, in the story, spends into the desert. This time when he's fasting and he's going inward and he's reflecting and he's wrestling. He's wrestling with worldly temptation, which I think is a way to talk about the fact that he's wrestling with everything around us that sometimes can cloud, 
cloud us from the underlying reality of ashes to ashes clarity that we want to stay grounded in, right? The hope was that, like Jesus in the story, we all, if we'd found ways to enter into some kind of similar space of reflection and inwardness, that we would emerge from such ritual times a little better equipped, a little better prepared each year to step into whatever hard and important things that life would ask of us, to walk with more grace, with more courage, and more love at the center having put the other things in their place at the periphery. I think most of us think of Lent as a season that's about giving something up, right? Some luxury, some indulgence. And that's the way it's often thought of and used. I've always seen that practice as some way that we do try to, in, in our own lives, without going into the desert, do something that's a daily reminder that puts worldly desire in perspective. It never worked for me, as I wrote in my sermon description. I once gave up soda, and I'm not a big soda drinker, and I gave up, drank more soda in the time I had pledged to give it up than I ever do in a six-month period. So that, that didn't work for me. But I do like the idea that also when we pull in some ritual commitment, that it can be an offering that we make also to the universe that says in our doing it, I am open to your wisdom. I am open to revelation. I am open to insight in this moment. I am opening myself. And in so doing, we wake up to probably the insights that are available to us all the time if we wake up and go looking for them. It does strike me, though, that giving something up this year feels particularly, I don't know, not appropriate, though do what feels right for you. But I guess I'm struck by how I feel like in a spiritual, personal way, we're all really already in a, fent, a fast this Lent. Uninvited, you and I have already had so many things stripped away from us, right? Dinner out, travel, theater, hugging, or singing with anyone who isn't inside our household or our small bubble, and things have, despite our working to make it so, gotten quiet in ways that we didn't have to engineer, did we? Our streets, our social lives. So, I would say that to enter into the spirit of Lent this year, if there is something getting in the way of your reflection, some offering or letting go that feels powerful as a ritual opening, then do it. If in fact you're seeking out distraction because you don't like the quiet and the simpling, simplification of life that's happened, then maybe go on a Facebook fast or a news fast or do the thing that invites that distraction to step aside, that invites you into the desert time in ways that feel more expansive to what it's supposed to invite us into. Or maybe think about what things might feel outworn in your life if you've grown tired of them, especially in all this time trapped with ourselves. Maybe there are pieces of ourselves we've grown tired of. 
I would like to set complaining aside permanently and judgment aside. I'm working on those. But for other, as others of us, maybe Lent this year could be this invitation to let something into all the silence and space of our lives. Flip the invitation. So maybe in this time where we've had to let go of perfection, we could make more room or throw open the door more broadly for grace and self-compassion, not just now, but going forward. Maybe in this time where we've had to let go of a, a clinging to safety, because it's been impossible to keep ourselves completely safe, and we realize it will be probably forever if we ever could have engineered our own safety. Maybe we can let go of that and open the door for reasonable vulnerability of the kind that makes room for new life experiences and deeper, more vulnerable friendships, real friendships. Maybe we can do any number of things, give up a distrustful relationship with food that so many have and take up the joy of cooking, maybe with music and dancing in the kitchen, which I think more of us have been doing of late to let go of all that life energy we have. And maybe we can learn to love our beautiful bodies and let ourselves take up more space in the world. Do we try to go to more stand-up comedy because Dave apparently is out around a lot so we'd have a familiar face or just let ourselves laugh a little more let life be a little lighter not because we don't have worries but just because we're gonna give up worry in place of trust in the wild ride and it is a wild ride of life in this universe life we can't really control anyway. So I ask folks as we play with these inherited invitations, chosen imposition, what needs to take a back seat in your life? Or get invited lovingly to sit in the chair in the corner to take a step back and what what do you want to invite to take a step forward and to join you on the stage of life or the dance floor life can be and lent can be a chance to do that kind of experiment when they rub the ashes on your forehead on the day that you are next reminded that we ultimately all returned to dust. What will you wish you had let go of? And what will you wish you would have danced with? Go and do both. Use this season as your excuse. As people have for centuries, for millennia. And Use it as a reminder, as we're meant to, that we don't really have time to waste.
Fuller life is always there for the taking, and there's always, and here is, one more way in. So after this year in the desert, it's time to get ready, my friends, for life beyond it. And to that end, happy Lent, everyone. Yes, happy Lent. Make of it what you will and be blessed. Amen. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org 